time. We spend it, we waste it, we use it. And in this case, we're going to talk about how we trade for it, how we buy more time. And while you can't obviously actually buy more time, we're going to talk about the steps you can take as a business owner to hire, to buy things, et cetera, so that you have more of your own time to spend on the things that you need to spend them on. Uh, if you know me, you know I love this topic, which is why you know I'm lo you love that. I you know I love, I can't talk today. This is why we can't do two episodes in one day, Greg. I do not have the bandwidth to speak for two hours, apparently. Um, that being said, I'm super excited to talk with Chris Guyman. For those of you that don't know him, he knew in law school he didn't want to work for somebody else. So straight out of school, he started his own firm, the Conflict Resolution Center. He focused his efforts on helping people find solutions to their problems, specifically through negotiation and mediation. As his business grew, he quickly realized that law school taught him nothing about business. Shocker. And many of his colleagues also struggled with the business of law. So he began helping other attorneys grow their business and fell in love with providing that service. About a year ago, he decided to go all in on helping other lawyers and started a coaching business that's dedicated to, I love this, empowering attorneys to define and achieve their definition of success so they might have joy. Listen, everybody, if you follow me, you know that uh, Chris and I are speaking the same language. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jordan. And I know, um, so you are working with attorneys across the country from a law firm perspective, though you are in Utah, correct? Correct. Yep. My law firm's here in Northern Utah. Awesome. All right. So today, again, we're going to talk about how we buy more time. That being said, I want to talk about our last episode. Our last episode aired about two hours ago. I know normally we do these one a week, but I had to cancel on Chris. So I wanted to fit him in more than like eight weeks out. Um, so all on me. That was with Matt Kerbis. Matt talked to us about the Netflix law firm. So subscription models in the law. Uh, that being said, today we're talking about, or now we're talking about how to buy time. So Chris, I want to hear a little bit more about your story in terms of you know, opening up the firm and now getting into the coaching lawyers to build great firms. Yeah. Uh, and again, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I realized quickly in law school that I wasn't uh, like most lawyers. I didn't enjoy the suits. I didn't enjoy the, the high stress uh, side of litigation and those types of things. Um, and so I quickly wanted to figure out what was going to work for me. Um, I was pretty fortunate. I kind of fell into um, an opportunity to be on the negotiation team where I worked with, uh, his name's Alan Craddock. He's writing a book on negotiations. When it comes out, you'll want to read it, but um, had an opportunity to work with him for a little while and, and really fell in love with the idea of negotiation and mediation and um, those types of things. And so um, kind of straight out of school, I started my own firm. I've been focusing on negotiation really from day one, just trying to work things out outside of court, um, which has allowed me to do a lot of things like wear shorts to work. I don't have a shirt as cool as yours yet. I'm going to have to find something like that. But, you know, you know, things like as simple as wearing shorts to work, just being able to pick my own schedule, that kind of stuff's really important to me. Um, I'm also not somebody that can work. 40 to 50 hours a week. Just It's just not in my nature. And so I've had to find ways of being efficient with my time so I can still get stuff done while working the, mm -hmm. I, I typically work about three days a week, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And then Wednesdays I take off to, to do the things, work on the things that I want to work on. And Fridays I usually completely take off of work to, to spend time with my family. Here we go. Um, I want to dive into that in a little more detail, but I want to highlight, I mean, you're welcome to have a shirt like this. However, the cool part about the shirt, it has my kid on it. And like literally, I don't know, 25 people have asked me, is that your kid? And I've decided I give 50% the answer of, yeah, of course, wouldn't it be weird if it's not? And the other half, I just say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I so like just a uh, reminder about the shirt. All right. So I want to highlight that. So Wednesday, 
Wednesday is basically Chris day and Friday is basically family day. Yeah, pretty much. So on Wednesdays, are you, is that working on the business Chris days or is that really just like Chris goes and has fun? <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes. to All both. right. Um, which Since are weirdly, started... normally those are the same thing, right? Yeah. Like having fun and working on your business tend to be the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Before I started the coaching business, uh, Wednesdays often were just video game day. I'd come in, I've got these beautiful big monitors. I'd play video games. I'd do whatever I want. Um, and I then tried to grow up a little bit since then. Um, so now I work on the business and play video games, uh, but just try to do the things, whatever it is that's motivating me. I've been uh, writing a book recently. So I've spent a lot of time uh, writing the book and whatever excites me that day, it's completely blank and it's just a blank canvas that I can pick what I want to do with that day. And so it's amazing to me. I, I didn't realize this. So I've, I've got a weekly newsletter and I get, I get cool feedback. And I don't mean this as a brag, but like one of them was just a couple of people were like, how do you come up with something to write about? And I was like, it's funny because actually by having a weekly newsletter, I have to force myself to learn new things. So I have something to write about. And so it's funny because like then in those extra days, I'm like, okay, Hey, look, like while I'm uh, playing disc golf, if I turn on this podcast, then that'll give me a really good thing to talk about in the next newsletter. And so it's like, I don't feel, I don't feel guilty anyway, but I feel like I'm double dipping with that time in like a learning and a having a blast. So I feel like in video games, you could write this whole thing about like how, you know, some sort of leveling system in this game is the same thing as a good negotiation where you balance these things or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I use a lot of uh, video game references, basketball references in my negotiations and, and persuasion techniques. So for sure. Absolutely. There we go. I love it. All right. So we're talking about buying time here and kind of walk me through that from like the 10,000 foot view. You know, what are we talking about? And then I want to dive into some specific details. Let's talk about some takeaways. Let's talk about how some firm owners can get back to having some time for themselves, video games, their family, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to tie back to one of your previous episodes, and I'm not sure which one it was, but you were talking about um, the number one most important thing was uh, understanding who your ideal customer was. Um, and this was within a week or so, I think. But um, I, I, Greg, Greg will tell you I say this 15 times every day, so it's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you were saying that, though, and I was, I was preparing for this, I thought, you know what? That is so pertinent and more than just marketing. Like before I do anything, before I talk about time, before I do anything, um, I always want people to understand what it is they actually want. Um, because like for me, um, I love playing games. I love doing stuff with my kids. Um, and it took me a while to like actually write down like what it is that I want out of my practice. And, um, I've had very financially successful months, but that wasn't necessarily what drove me after a certain amount of money, time became more important to me because of those other things. And so very first step is just figuring it out what it is you want. Um, and then working backwards with your schedule to make sure that you have enough time to do those things. Um, and, and then from there, there's a lot of time tricks. Um, the big ones that I talk about just briefly is the 80, 20 principle. And I know people have heard that probably a hundred times, but, uh, 20% of your work produces 80% of your results. Um, and then 20% of your clients create 80% of your problems. Yes. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about, but that's, uh, I mean, just to spoil it, um, about once a month or at least once a quarter, me and my staff, we go through and ask, okay, who are our biggest headaches? And there's usually one to three clients 
that are causing us the most, like 80% of our problems. And we joyously fire them each month to quarter um, just to free up some time. So you're, you're right on that one. So yeah, 80-20 is the big one. Uh, Parkinson's law is the next one that I really enjoy. And that just says that you will spend as much time working on something as you have scheduled to work on it. Um, and so I, I taught my four-year-old Parkinson's law through farting. Yeah. He was like, Oh, I tutored. I was like, okay. So like if we were in a smaller room, it would be stinkier. That's Parkinson's law. And now he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> I have not heard that, but I like it. That's good. Hey, the things, the things you learned how to teach a four-year-old, how to run yeah. a business. Yeah. I love it. So yeah, 80, 20 Parkinson's law. And then, um, the last one I just call being intentional. I wish I had a fancy phrase for it. Um, I think I call it intent in my book because that's what all the attorneys say in Black's Law Dictionary, but um, just being intentional. So um, from, like I said, if you know what you want and you've now limited other things into the smaller boxes, you've really narrowed down what's the most effective, then you schedule things out uh, more than just your work day. Uh, my calendar does not end at five. Uh, I have scheduled out what I'm gonna be doing at nights to make sure that I'm spending enough time with my family, helping my wife with the things she needs to get done, uh, but just making sure that I'm intentional with my time and then blocking off time to not be intentional. Like that's why I think Wednesdays being blank is so exciting for me is because I get to come in and just say, you know what, what is it I want? Um, but that's intentional as well as booking those times to just uh, be yourself. I know it's amazing to me. Whenever I tell anybody, I was like, you have to, you have to own your calendar and they're like, no, I don't want to be a slave to my calendar. And I'm like, no, 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 not what I'm talking about. Like literally just be like, I'm going to have fun on Wednesday and just put it on the calendar every week and then nobody will schedule over it. And then, you know, you've got it there. So I, uh, I'm picking up what you're putting down here, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the 10,000, the 10,000 foot view is of those three principles and, and knowing what you want. So I have a very, I guess, selfish question. So for me, I'm a Monday, Thursday guy. You're a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday why like it sounds so right to me but i can't definitively tell you like i guess wednesday's the middle of the week and then friday everybody's already checked out for the weekend but like is that is it that simple um you know i like i think monday specifically if if you're doing what you love and you've taken the weekend off to recharge your batteries like by the time monday rolls around i'm excited to come to work uh, oh yeah a lot of people can't say that but that's uh, that's the biggest reason mondays for me um and then i'm I like having three day weekends, the rest of the world, um, you know, kids in school, that kind of stuff. Um, that's when you're going to be able to go do stuff with your family. So that's why I took Fridays off. My wife, she works one day a week and it happens to be Tuesdays. Um, and so that's why I work Tuesdays, to be honest, I have nothing else to do. So um, I, I agree with you on Monday, Thursday, I'd love to get down to just, I'll probably just do Tuesday, Thursday, but uh, there we go. It works, but yeah. So I, for me, I always, cause I like Monday. So we, I start my Monday morning. I've got an hour meeting for the law firm. I've got an hour and a half meeting for the marketing company, basically like the modified EOS level 10 meetings. Um, and that's why I like Monday. Cause then like by the time we hit, I guess, East coast, 12 o'clock, I'm on West coast now. So nine o'clock in the morning, I'm like, okay, I know that none of the businesses have a giant fire from the last week that needs to be addressed. And then like, there's no pressure for the rest of the week. Mm-hmm. Yep. So anyway, I just, I, it's interesting to me because I talk to so many people, if they work four days a week, it's like always Wednesday or Friday that become the day that comes off. And so like, I just, I'm, I'm so curious about that, like weird collective knowledge that's not based on anything, but we all seem to do. Yeah. You know, my dad did that. He was an orthodontist and, uh, isn't 
he's alive. He just doesn't practice. So I say that and people are like, oh, how'd you lose your dad? But no, he's around. He just doesn't practice anymore. But he took Wednesdays off. And uh, I loved, we would go do stuff and like, like riding horses or all that kind of stuff. No one else is doing it. Like no matter yeah. what you went and did, you were like the only person there. It was super fun. So, um, I mean, that was selfishly why I picked Wednesdays. I remembered how much fun as a kid I had uh, with my dad on Wednesdays off. Uh, I love that. And probably the reason that your dad's retired and still alive are probably because he took Wednesdays off and oh, yeah. got to hang out with you. Like it's just, it is amazing to me how, like I, I find, and we're going to talk about this when we talk about intentionality, or maybe for lawyers, we should call it premeditation, but I don't know if they would take it the right way. Yeah. Um, like the less, like, I, I guess it's Parkinson's rule, right? The less time you give yourself, the less BS you end up putting in the more uh, effective you actually get. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's dive in. You want to go in the order that you gave or, or we can use that segue to go right into Parkinson's law right now. Uh, yeah, let's do Parkinson's law. We're on it. Let's All right. Go there. Let's do it. So without an external force, uh, things will take whatever time is available. Yeah. And how I test this principle with attorneys, attorneys give me a lot of pushback on this one. Funny enough. And I don't know why, if they just, it doesn't make sense to them, but, um, what I do with them to prove that I'm right, because um, I'm not above proving that I'm right, um, is email. So I can't tell you how many hours a day attorneys waste on email. Um, All I can't, of them. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you, um, people who I work with in my coaching business, we limit their email usage to once or twice a day. Uh, I prefer once a day. Sometimes they won't let me go straight to once a day, so we go to twice a day. Um, but the average attorney that I'm working with, if I can get them to check their email, no more than twice a day. And what we do is we usually do it at like 11 right before lunch because attorneys love to take lunch. And so they'll, they'll actually give that deadline a, a realistic, uh, boundary. And then at four, again, just cause people want to go home. Um, well, and it, it removes that thought of like, I can get to this later. I can get exactly. to this in 10 minutes. Like it, no, you can get to it in yeah. now or five hours or tomorrow. Like that's yeah. it. Yeah, and like um, my uh, legal partner here, uh, when I did this with him, he loves his lunch break. So the idea of going, like working into his lunch break, he will find any way to make sure he gets to leave for lunch on time. Um, I figure the average attorney saves at least an hour and a half, if not two hours a day worth of time, just by this one trick, just by checking their email. Uh, like I said, once a day, I now only check my email Monday, once on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So I check my email three times a week is all now. Um, but I mean, that in and of itself proves it to me. And just for the, let's call it normal lawyer, who's like, I don't spend three hours a day on my email. It's not just the time on the email. It's the fact that you were doing something else, then you flipped over to the email, then you're going through that. Now you got to get back to it. So then you have to like reread the last two pages of that brief to make sure it's correct because you answered the one email from, you know, opposing counsel on something else. Like it's the mindset, it's the block, it's the staying on task yeah. that you really get the time savings from, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, we talk about deep work a lot, um, which is just uninterrupted focus on, on work. And uh, every time you're interrupted, uh, I, I heard that like it takes 25 minutes to get back into things. And I used to laugh at that. Uh, and it may not take you 25 minutes to get back into checking email. Uh, but if you're doing something important, like writing a book, like I put a sign on my door where it says deep work every time I'm writing a book. Cause if my staff even just pokes their head in and says, 
hey, can I ask you a quick question? I've just lost 25 minutes of writing time. Easy. Uh, and the same thing goes for memos and, and contracts and those types of things. If you're doing something that requires focus, as soon as you get that little notification that someone sent you an email, you've just lost a half an hour of your time. Oh, yeah, totally. And you and then that's assuming you don't go down some other rabbit hole like, OK, now so and so's emailing with a Johnson file. OK, so let me go to the office. Let me pull that. Let me bring that up. Yeah. OK, wait. Now we have a hearing for that. Oh, do we schedule the hearing? Like, it's just yeah. it is amazing to me um, how much you get sucked in. Yeah, or I mean, some maybe of those emails, you're absolutely right. Some of those emails, like you said, you're like, oh, okay, the Johnson file, what's going on in that file? So you have to pull up their, their case file. Next thing you know, the email only may take two minutes to write, but you had to take five minutes to refresh your memory. And so you're just losing time every time you switch from one task to the next. And to be fair, I, you know, there's also the flip side of this. You get those memes that are like, eh, if it's that important, they'll send the email again. Like that's not what you're looking for because then you're really going to have a tough relationship with clients. Yeah. But if your clients understand like, hey, I will get back to you with a competent thought in 24 hours, that's fine. It doesn't have to be like, I'll get back to you in the next 12 minutes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll say, um, because attorneys are so busy, they may not be productive, but they're busy. Uh, it's not uncommon for people to call me up and say, hey, I haven't spoken to my attorney in two weeks. Um, and yeah, I may only check my email three times a week, but that means they hear from me if someone's emailing me every day, they hear from me three times a week. That's still way better than the average person. And my emails are coherent because I know I'm not going to check my email for another hour. I can't shoot back a one liner. Like my email gives them all the information. And if this, then that, and if this, then that, so that I don't have to respond again in another 24 hours. Dude, you should be a PI lawyer. I have clients telling me they haven't talked to their attorney in a year when they come over to hire us to be their second one. So I bet. I bet. Forget two weeks. Crazy. Yeah. All right. So so we have the, and I love that you're using lunch and in essence, leaving the office as your external factors to keep that. So basically you're giving them an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon to look at email. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any other tips and tricks along the Parkinson's law one? I mean, I can only imagine the benefit just from that one. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously the lowest hanging fruit and the easiest one to cover. Um, that's all I can think of at this very minute, but I'm sure I'll come up with something as soon as we move on. All right, no problem. We could always circle back. Uh, then let's go 80-20 on the next one. Um, Pareto principle, you wear 80%, you wear 20% of your clothing 80% of the time. You make 80% your profit off 20% of your clients. Op works in the opposite. Talk to me about that one as it applies to law firms. Yeah. Um, the I mean... What I mean, what I did with with my practice is I sat down one day. I was kind of an everything lawyer when I first started. So I came out right out of school, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and so I sat down and um, asked myself, like after about six months of practice, I was like, okay, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm making some money here, but um, what's working for me? And I'd uh, just read Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, there on the shelf. Um, when I first heard about this, I was like, okay. So I sat down and literally on a, just a, a standard legal pad, wrote down all of my cases that I'd ever had. Um, luckily it was early in my practice, so I could do that. Uh, and I wrote down, did I like working with this person? That was the very first question I asked is, do I even like this person? Yes or no. Uh, how much money did I make? Uh, how much money did I bill? So not, you know, how much money did I, how much work did I do? Um, and then how much did I charge for the initial retainer? Uh, and I realized within six months of my practice that 80% of my income income came from family law. 
Um, and specifically, um, if I charged, I want to say it was like a $2,000 threshold at the point, but anybody who had paid less than $2,000 on their retainer, I had put no next to their name of whether or not I liked working with them. And pretty much everybody that above 2000, I'd put yes. And, so and isn't realized, that such a weird thing? Like going in, there's, there's no way that you were like, this is going to be my cutoff point, but by yeah. dropping it out, like it just becomes so it's like, yeah. it's like God smacking you over the head with a hammer. Like, didn't you realize like, this is the difference? Cause it weeds out certain people. Yeah, absolutely. It absolutely did. Um, and, and I don't know why I selected those things the first time, but that was such a strong correlation to me. I was like, wow, like this is a, a perfect hundred percent match. So I instantly uh, came to the office the next day and told my, my uh, paralegal, I was like, Hey, we only do family law cases now, divorce, custody, adoptions, and guardianships, uh, and a minimum retainer of $2,000. Uh, and we turned away $9,000 worth of work that week, which at the time I was doing like nine to $10,000 of work a month. And so I turned away as much in a week that I was normally doing in a month. Uh, and it like, I was definitely tested if I was committed to that. Um, but within three months I had doubled my revenue just from sticking to one practice area and realizing those things. And so, um, the biggest thing with the 80, 20 is just looking for those, like put, pulling things out and kind of looking at your numbers and trying to figure it out. Like, uh, I realized the, the courts here changed, not the courts, the legislature changed a bunch of rules on document drafting, um, what the headers were supposed to be, what you called that divorce parties you used to call them petitioner and respondent. They told you not to say that, but you can't say mother and father either because there's a lot of political biases to that. And so like, they were really funny. And I was like, man, I've got like 50 different templates that I use with my team. What am I going to do? So I sat down and did an 80-20 analysis on it and realized that over 80% of my documents all derived from the one settlement offer. Everything else was a modification of that. So I sat down and updated the, the settlement offer to match what needed to be done and some of the new rules. And then from there, the, my staff could update all the other templates as needed uh, from that one document. And so it comes up with, with really everything if you're keeping your eye out for it. I love that. Yeah, and I know, um, and also I know you talked about firing the uh, the ill-fitting clients yeah. every so often. I know there's a number of firms, and I think this is an Atticus training program thing. I, and I don't take credit for it, but that becomes like one of their holiday things. Like every employee for the holidays gets to pick one client to fire. And then I was talking to an attorney who's like, so they have like 15 people. So like the funniest part is 12 of them will always pick the same client. Like it's yeah. oh, there's always that one that like everybody hates, and and um, they're and. They were like, and one of them, they're not even assigned to it. They just hear everybody else complaining about the client so much that they were like, you know what? They got to go. Like, I need different water cooler talk. Yeah. And I just thought that was so, so funny and true. Yep. Last month when we did that, um, so we currently have five full-time employees and then a bunch of independent contractors. Um, and when we asked that question, um, all five of us picked the same person, which is funny because it's one of my clients. Only two out of the five of us are actually working on that case. But it yeah. had been discussed so much at the water cooler that all five of us picked the same client. And look, I know, and your story is, I think, perfect for this. Like, here's an entire month's worth of work that you're saying no to. But like ripping that Band-Aid off instead of having death by a thousand cuts with it is just like, oh, it's it's great. You, or at least you get back to it being great that much faster. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was what was crazy. I was I doubled my income, but my workload actually went down by about 30%. That, that first time I 
Um, that was the first time I started taking Fridays off. So I was like, wow, I can actually make money and I don't have to work the full, the full schedule. I love it. All right. Uh, and, and I guess we probably should have, in retrospect, started with intentionality, but that's all right. We'll do this. I was not intentional with my ordering, and that was the <laughs> issue. Um, anything else you want to talk about with 8020? Um, no, I think intentional makes sense right now, um, which really you know, kind of goes back to goal setting. Um, I have found, and one of my favorite things when it comes to goal setting is you can't set too many goals. Obviously, you need to stay focused on what you're doing. Um, but I want to say it was Sean White. Uh, who's the the famous snowboarder? He used to have two uh, like real goals and one fun goal at all times. Uh, and I remember one of his goals being like, how many cars could he win one year? And he literally just signed up for any competition that he could win a car. And some of it would be like, who could do the most spins gets a car. It wasn't even necessarily who won. Um, and he was like, okay, so I had to learn how to do the most spins or flips because that's how I was going to win this car. And uh, it ended up rounding out his skill set because and I think he won like 14 cars that year. Uh, it was something crazy. Um, but I've kind of adapted that to myself and, and my coaching program. So when we do, like I do a 12 week intensive coaching program. And when people come into that initially, we do one financial goal. So specifically, how much money are you going to make? Uh, if someone's going to hire a business coach, then that's something I think we need to figure out is how much money they're making, how much money they want to make. And then the other one is kind of a personal development goal. Um, and that can be like, uh, I'm working on losing weight. And so, you know, I set that goal. Um, and then the third one is a fun goal. And, uh, that's some of the funnest stuff. Some of these coaching calls where they start talking about their fun goals is kind of fun. But, uh, so we always have three goals going on at one time, one financial goal, one personal development goal, and then one fun goal. Can we, can you share any of like examples of the fun ones? I think the first two are kind of obvious, but like in terms of what becomes a, a worthwhile fun goal to look to work towards yeah i mean um that's when i openly had started admitting that i was playing video games because there was a specific rank i wanted to get one time um i play this game called league of legends don't start it's been open for like 12 years it's super competitive and hard um and, and addicting uh, but i'd never hit gold ranking which is like the top 50 percent and so that was one of my goals one time was to hit gold um i've had other clients um I had one that wanted to, they were really into basketball. And so they wanted to hit uh, 25 out of 50 three pointers. And like they did five from each spot, you know, 10 spots around the court. Um, and they actually hit that goal. They'd only hit like 12 or 13 before. So they were hitting like 25%. And uh, over the 12 weeks, they hit the, the 50%. Um, and then I have a bunch of people who think running is fun. Uh, my wife's one of those people, but I am not. That's probably why I'm this size and she's not. Um, but so they'll often put, uh, I've seen a lot of half marathons end up being. Gotcha. Okay. Um, again, I, I've ran a half marathon with my wife, but I did not consider it fun. I uh, ran a full marathon with my wife. I highly recommend don't do it. Like draw the line at half or a, or a 10K or a 5K or never, or unless something's chasing you. Yeah. But like. I did not get nearly the like braggability out of running a marathon. And I know that that like sounds bad, but really at the end of the day, that's probably why I was doing it um, as I thought I would get. And instead I like couldn't walk for four days and it was miserable. And I, yeah, like it was the whole thing. So I'm actually, with you. I actually gained weight running for the half, like training for the half marathon. So I spent all that time training and, and gained weight, which I was not at the stage of my life where gaining weight was a good thing. So 
Um, it didn't work for me, but my wife loves it and she's teeny. So maybe there's something to it. I just don't know. I have no idea, but there, and you know, and so it's interesting, like along those lines of that intention, intention, intentionality, I always tell people, and this is probably similar. I talk about how much money do you need to make? Like, what do you need that covers all the bills that let us retire? How much do you want to be working and what work do you want to be doing in that time frame? And I think like those three things really help people look at a lot of other decisions because it's like, okay, if I hire this paralegal, it's a little bit longer till I get back to a money thing, but it really gets me into the time thing, but it really gets me into, you know, doing the work that I want to do. I don't want to do the additional drafting or whatever. And you can really kind of balance those things um, against each other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the best tips you can ever give someone, especially if they don't have any employees, is to hire their first employee. Uh, yeah. As soon as you can possibly afford it, even if you've got to cut Netflix out of your budget or something, um, you will you will see the fastest growth, both personally and in a business. As soon as you're not the one answering the phones and that kind of stuff, you've got to have an employee. Totally. Well, and it's and the funny thing to me is like bringing on. So when you bring on your first employee, it makes you have to be so much more systems driven because you don't know, they don't know how to do it your way and you don't know if they did it your way. But then once you have that first employee, that second employee is like a thousand times easier to bring on and the third employee and then the fourth. And like by the yeah. time you're at, you know, five employees plus contractors or more then like everybody else can be training that person on this, on the things that they're taking over from them instead of you having to be involved. And then you're just like, I just need more money. And then I don't have to do anything. Like you're yeah. just uh, in a race to maximize that time. Yeah, that last gal I hired, um, I had someone do all of the headhunting for me. So I sat down and did two interviews, hired one of them. Um, I met with her once and then my staff's done all the training and I see her once a week for our office trainings and that's it because um, she works with the other attorney. And sometimes I look at it, I'm like, was it really that easy? Like hiring used to be really, really hard and yeah, um, yeah just having systems and, and doing it over time. Absolutely. And I want to be clear, um, do you, like, I have the same, I like apply this the rest of your life. Are you on that same vein? Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So like, it is amazing to me. It's 140 bucks a month for me to have my lawn cut and the trees trimmed and all that stuff done in like exactly the way that I want it. Somebody's great. Who also sends me cases because they have, they don't know any other lawyers right. and they have a ton of legal questions. And so do their friends. And from a PI standpoint, like my landscaper driving around the whole, uh, driving around the whole city has a, I mean, has unfortunately gotten into some issues, but like has the opportunity more than people who are working from home. Like she doesn't yeah. have that luxury because of the landscaping stuff. And so it's crazy to me. Like I didn't care about that in any way, shape or form. I just wanted my lawn cut in a way that was a lot better than I was going to do with time. I didn't want to spend, but also it helped me meet a whole new wing of people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, my wife and I have actually been looking at hiring just like a house assistant for her because um, there's so many little things with three kids running around. I've got an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old, and you can imagine the the destruction they can do in a day. And uh, um, so, yeah, I, I finally think I've got her convinced on doing that. And so instead of me being her house assistant, uh, she'll have her own. And um, yeah, absolutely. It works in more than just business. Well, and I love, uh, like along those lines, I love Instacart you know, or, or shift or whatever you're going to do. But like every time you place an order with Instacart, it's like, it figures out how much time you've saved based upon, I don't know what their metric is, but at this point, my thing's like, you've saved 250 hours on Instacart and I can look at it and I'm like, okay, so I'm paying, you know, 20% more for groceries plus tip plus whatever.
but like on $20 for, you know, 120 for hundred bucks in groceries, that 20 bucks for me to not save like an hour and a half going there and shopping and doing this and doing that, you could bill at, you know, 250 an hour, 300 an hour, a lot more. Right. You could spend that time with family. You can go to a networking lunch. I mean, like, it's crazy to me to think about it, about the financial benefit, but also the personal benefit that you can get out of the same thing. So it's a little yeah. bit more money, but you get more time, but you get more, you know, you get to focus more on things you actually enjoy. Yeah. And as soon as, as attorneys have a hard time breaking time from money, they've see, they see their entire life in six minute increments. But as soon as you realize that you're not trading your time for money, like you can do other things. Um, I mean, my law firm aspect of my business, we did like half a million in business last year, working three days a week. So is it the most and probably not the most out of your, your, uh, your people on this podcast, but, um, it was so simple, like three days a week working just me and one paralegal at the time. That's our, like I said, our portion. And, um, and then I didn't have to trade my time for money. I could do whatever I wanted on my other times. Like that's as soon as you have that mindset shift that you don't have to trade your time for money. You can trade other people's times. You can trade systems for for money. You can do other things for money. Um, that's where I think you're going to see the biggest growth. And then you can trade your money for more of your time. Yeah, absolutely. You, know, like it, it, you can, I mean, look, our title here, you can buy time in that yeah. sense. You can buy back time yeah. instead of wasting it doing who knows what. Yeah. As we were uh, talking about intentionalism, I mean, obviously setting goals is a big one. Um, the next thing for me is just, as we talked a little bit before about managing the schedule, um, I make sure the first thing I always put on the calendar are all the things that are most important to me. So times with family, those types of things. And I build my work schedule around that stuff. Um, and then the other big thing that I talk to people about is, is deep work. Uh, just having, and I like big blocks of time, at least two, if not four hours of time where you can really just sit down uninterrupted and, and get stuff done. Um, I find that a lot, again, a lot of my coaching clients will do two, four hour blocks each week of deep work. And they'll often tell me that they can get more done in those eight hours than they could in an entire week before because it's uninterrupted. And when I say uninterrupted, I mean, no email, no staff, no nothing. You put, do not disturb on your phone. You truly are uninterrupted. You don't access the internet uh, unless you absolutely have to, and you just work. Um, and so that's, if I was giving like my number one tip on intentionalism, it's deep work um, and, and managing your calendar with the most important things first. And so, you know, it's funny. I know um, I, I totally agree with you. And I've heard a lot of people like, oh, you have to calendar these things. And to some extent, yes. However, I also like the concept of like, all right, I have a two hour a week block of time that I'm going to get to my to-do list. So instead of calendaring each individual thing on my to-do yeah. list, I have them prioritized. And I know it's that time frame. And then that way you like, don't, you don't fret about it the rest of the time. Cause you're like, yeah. Hey, I know I have this time. It's built every time or it's built every week um, for whatever it is. So I'm, I'm right there with you. And I agree. I don't like, I don't go in there and say work on the Smith motion. I write deep work four hours and then uh, I have a to-do list or a priority list. And so when I get to that, I just do the most important things first and not everything gets done and that's okay. As long as you're doing the most important things first, you're going to come way ahead. Just have a to-do list, schedule time for it, do the most important things and, and you'll be fine.
it's like the 80 20 rule right if you get 20 percent of the to-do list done you're you get 80 percent of the results or i don't know whatever yeah, yeah absolutely there was i want to say again it was tim ferris but he said let small bad things happen so you can accomplish great things um and that's very much how i do it is i i prioritize my time and um like last month because i've been working on my book and stuff so much uh, my marketing for my coaching business has been next to nothing and anything that happened on my marketing was all that had been automated before but any of the manual inputs that i did i didn't do any of them um and that's okay I, did i make as much money that month on the coaching side of things no but i was achieving the the goal that was the most important to me and that's what it takes sometimes hey you reached out to me no maybe that wasn't last month or maybe uh, that was automated I it don't was know. uh it was a yeah, that was a team that reached out to you on LinkedIn and then they told me and then I realized I think I asked you questions and never followed up because I stopped working through that system anymore. But uh, um, it worked. Yeah. We're on this call. So there we go. We got there. Uh, makes little sense. All right. So I want to talk. We've got, you know, we've got a little bit more time. Are there I want to know, like the time tips, the time hacks, like any specific things. I know I love the email one. I think that's huge. I love the deep work one. But like, are there some of these smaller ones, like things that lawyers can add in here and there tomorrow to save, you know, five or 10 minutes. So then, you know, start building into more of these larger time blocks. Yeah. Um, lawyer specifically, I would say, when it comes to like cases, now if it's not just business stuff, right. Um, I mean, I, I do block off like half a day for working on the business uh, each month, but that's not really the, the question. Um, what I do is I make sure every case has a, you know, to-do list or a task list or whatever system you're using. I know Clio calls them tasks. Um, um, we have those built out. And then the, one of the best tips I can give you is when, so, when you notice something isn't working, just go in and fix it right then. So if there's an error in the template, take the two minutes to go fix the template right now. Uh, or um, six months from now, it'll still not be fixed and you'll have to fix it in every single one. Um, I had a, an error in my, my settlement offer, which I use that in my mediations. I use them like that document is probably up on my computer half the day. And there was one part where it was supposed to say co-parenting and it said, so parenting. So at some point, one of the things had fixed this, you know, spell check had fixed it and I hadn't caught it. Uh, and I literally, I knew exactly where it was. And every time I went there, I would go to the paragraph and I'd change the S to a C. And I did that for over a year. And then I finally thought to myself, like, why am I in every single case doing this? Uh, there was that. And then I didn't have a, a child, um, like the extracurricular activities expense sentence that is literally in every single case. And I would have to manually write that out every time. And finally, I was like, okay, yeah, it's only taking me like 30 seconds, maybe a minute on each case. Sure, um, but it adds but up. I, yeah, I added it up and over the last year I had done 250 cases. So I had wasted 250 minutes of my life just because I didn't go fix it in the template one time. It's half a day. Yeah, yeah, just from that one little thing. And so um, that's something that's really hard to train your staff. Um, but if everybody on your team is doing that, just willing to take a minute out of today to save yourself 250 minutes this year, um, it's gonna be a compounding effect. I don't think there's going to be like one magic thing that you do that all of a sudden you have days of your life back. Um, but if you do these things consistently over time, you'll look back and be blown away with what happens. 
Yeah, along those lines, one of my biggest ones, I love Text Expander on the iPhone. I'm sure Android has something similar. But like full just so Greg, uh, my business partner and our producer on this, full disclosure, Greg, I still have no idea what our phone number is for legalese in any way, shape, or form. But I know on my phone, if I hit LPHN, legalese phone, it'll put the number in. And yeah. I do that every freaking time. And when I have to leave a message, I have to pull it up on my phone or pull it up on our website and give them the number. Um, but like, you know, address, email, um, also, you know, specific links to landing pages or presentations I've done. I have them all saved in my phone with some sort of keyword. And so when I'm in the email or I'm in the text or I'm in the, the DM, it's really easy to drop those right there instead of typing in like www. You know, legalesemarketing.com slash education slash building hyphen or blank hyphen referral hyphen practice or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, really, everybody's business is going to be so different. And there's going to be issues in each practice area. I know, like, I help a lot of people get to negotiation quicker, like scheduling mediations faster and, and jurisdictions where that applies. So that saves them tons of time and money. Um, but what it really comes down to is there's that phrase like eliminate, simplify, automate, and then delegate. Um, and so I'm constantly asking myself what and in doing it in that order, right? So if you, you the first thing you should ask yourself is should I even be doing this? Um, like, do I really need to check my email 10 times a day? The answer to that is no. So just cut that out. Um, I know there's some attorneys that don't do email at all. I haven't got to that point yet, but uh, I've eliminated as much as I can. And then I simplify. Um, and so if you can't explain it to a child, then you probably don't understand it well enough and you need to keep simplifying it down um, and, and really finding the 20% that produces the 80% of the results. Uh, and then I automate uh, and then I delegate. Um, if, if initially you're just trying to find time, then sure, you can delegate stuff. Uh, but all you're doing at that point is wasting someone else's time and your hard-earned money. And so if you follow that system, eliminate, simplify, automate, delegate, you just spend a little bit of time each day doing that, but you'll look back six months from now and be blown away with where you've come. So where do you, um, like, where do you put, like, iterate? Where are you tweaking? Like, I know you, you mentioned this briefly before about, like, when there are issues, you know, tweak and fix the issues. But, like, is there a proactiveness to it or are you really just reacting to things breaking? Um, yeah, absolutely. Both of those things for sure. If you see something broken, just fix it because it's on your mind and you're ready and you're working on it. Um, but I do uh, usually suggest working four hours a week on your business. Um, again, I, I, this is my like the introductory tr uh, coaching program that I do. We do two four hour blocks of deep work. We do one four hour block of working on the business, uh, a couple other things, but uh, and then working on the emails just once a day. Uh, is kind of the foundation of most people's calendars. Uh, and so each day, each week, they have a four-hour block where they're working on the business. Um, and then we can kind of go through things that are most important there. Um, what I often do is um, I'll start people with working on uh, like a playbook for the company. I like to call them playbooks instead of handbooks because no one reads handbooks. Um, but um, And, you know, basketball. So Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and honestly, the people who call them playbooks, they seem to get better responses from their staff. I don't know why, but it just, it just works. Um, so that's one of the big things we start on with for most people is just consolidating your, your, uh, systems into one book that you can find them and everybody can find them and it's available to your entire team. So that your team can see like, okay, the marketing people are doing this and this is why, and you know, they can see everything right there. And 
you know, the case specific stuff, the case tasks, that's not going to be in that book. Um, and those are going to be constantly being changed and updated, but, um, that's kind of where I start. And then, um, but as long as you're spending some time each week now, honestly, the busier and the bigger you get, the more time the person at the top should probably be working on the business. Like I'm sure Jordan, you're working on it way more than four hours a week and, and that's okay. But, um, and that's, you know, obviously my goal and, and what I've expanded to recently, but uh, that's a really good starting point. I mean, I basically do no work in my business for either business or I do nothing fulfillment wise in either yeah. of my businesses. So I don't do any legal work and I don't actually do any marketing work. Yeah. I interview cool people on live shows and I yeah. respond to emails on, uh, you know, on my schedule and then I visionary everything. So, yeah. And that visionary stuff, that's working on the business. Right. Um, and then you start hiring the right people underneath you to execute your vision. Um, and yeah, absolutely. This cool. is, this is the starting point. Hopefully we get to more, um, as you grow, but if you can start there, that's going to be a good foundation. Well, and like, it's just, it's just like you fixing that one spelling mistake to save that time. Like the, at the point that you get an hour off your plate every week, the faster you do that, the faster you have more time to get the next hour then more time to get the next hour, more time. To, like you just, it, it not a uh, spirals, it snowballs or it uh, yeah. dovetails or yeah, whatever, the, whatever yeah. the good one is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. As, as we get towards the end, is there anything that we missed? Anything else you want to make sure we cover? Um, anything else that we skipped over or want to go back to? Um, yeah. I, I really like kind of what you were saying there at the very end about, just being the visionary and delegating it to people. I mean, that's the ultimate goal here is doing just the things that only you can do or that you love doing. Um, like I really love mediating. I, I enjoy doing that. I don't want to do it all the time. If I'm doing it five days a week, then I get burned out, but I really love mediating once to twice a week. And so even though I'm at the point where I don't have to work in the business, uh, I still mediate once to twice a week because I love it. Um, and that's what my ideal for, for people here is, is by applying these principles over time, you can limit it down to doing only things that only you can do, like being the visionary or doing only the things that you love to do. And you can afford to do that. So sure, I make money doing that, uh, doing mediation, uh, but that's still probably one of my lowest income producing activities compared to all the other stuff I do. And it's okay because I love it. Well, and uh, along those lines, when you delegate something to somebody else, it doesn't mean it's going to be done worse. In fact, a lot of times they'll actually do it better than you will at some point in time because you are empowering them to change the system, tweak the template, whatever that looks like. So don't think that the minute something gets off your plate, it's going to be 80% as good. It might actually be 120% as good. It might actually be better than you did it because yeah. that's somebody's zone of genius, zone of interest, you know, whatever you want to call it along those lines. So Even them just having enough time to to do it right and figure it out. Like if you're the boss and you're practicing law and trying to figure out marketing and trying to do sales, like you're only doing a little bit of each. Um, but if you delegate like marketing to just one person and they have 40 hours a week to figure out how to do that right, um, I don't care how bad they are initially, if they're actually willing to work and figure it out with it, it's not gonna be very long before they're better than you are at it. Totally, absolutely. All right. So. Um, I want to talk about our next episode, and then we'll do our final nugget of wisdom, our biggest takeaway. So next week, so today, yep, next Monday at 1.30 Eastern time. So what is that? That's two and a half hours before we had this episode. 
So next Monday, 620, we're going to have Mark Rockwell on. Mark's going to talk about achieving your goals by facing them. F-A-C-E. Focus, accountability, core values, execution. So that'll be next week, um, achieving your goals by facing them and what that talks about. But Chris, look, we have, this is probably the episode that could save the most amount of time to anybody listening in. Like this is a, at this point, 51 minutes that really could give you years back over the next 20 or 30 years of your firm. But that being said, I, wanna, I won't let you go without one more nugget of wisdom. So if somebody doesn't remember a single thing that we talked about in the 50 minutes here, what would be your biggest piece of advice on how they could be the exhibit A of a successful lawyer like yourself? Yeah. Um, my last piece of parting advice would be super clear on what you want. Um, before you do anything else, before you try to create systems, make sure it is you know what you want so that you have something you're working towards uh, and keep that in your mind every day. Um, the more that you keep that in mind, the more that you're going to start attracting things that are going to help you get that, uh, from there, um, do only the things that only you can do. And so don't be afraid to ask people for help to do the things that, that you don't have to be the one doing. Um, so the, one of the best questions you can ask yourself is who instead of how. So if I want to get, you know, 10 clients for my new coaching program, um, I had to ask myself, I started doing some marketing stuff. And I was like, why am I asking myself, how do I market this? I need to ask myself who can help me. And so I literally put a post out there on Facebook. Hey, who can help me? Got some really good referrals and they're, they're experts in their field. And so just always be asking yourself, am I doing the things that only I can do? And initially that may be, yes. If you're the attorney, there are going to be some legal services that only the attorney can do, but continually work your way into doing less and less of those things so that you can do more and more of the things that that bring the most fulfillment. And again, be patient with it. Uh, these are small things over time. If you try to do everything today, then even if you have a, a productive 16 hour day, uh, you're not gonna be nearly the same plot, at the same position as somebody who has done this, you know, over 10 or 12 years at 15 minutes a day. One one of these days we'll, we'll have Dan Sullivan on, uh, who not how comes up so often. And it's, it's so true, right? Yeah. Like it's the old, um, like you hire the the carpenter comes over, puts one nail on the ground and your floor stops squeaking and they charge you for it. And you're like, it's not just the one nail. It's a 30 years of experience and know where to put the nail. Yeah, like absolutely. I love it. All right. Um, so for people that have listened to your insight and want to follow you, connect with you more, potentially hire the, the coaching stuff, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? Yeah, if they go to scalingforlawyers.com, um, that'll take them to like a free Facebook group where we share tips like this um, at least once a week, if not more. Um, that's probably the best way to find me. Um, and then hopefully if my IT guy gets this done soon, chrisguyman.com uh, should be up and running. It'll have a website that talks about time freedom for lawyers as well. So uh, that's we not go. live right now, but assuming within a week or two, uh, it should be live. There we go. So if you are listening, if you are here with us live, if you're listening to this, and it's still June of 2022. Maybe don't check it out, but end yeah, of June, July, July it's there. Yeah. I like it. We're putting that, uh, we're putting that accountability out there. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for joining us and to everybody listening and watching. Hope to see you next Monday, one 30 on where we'll learn from Mark Rockwell on how to achieve your goals by facing them.